Super Talk Mississippi Media Production. You're listening to Thunder and Lightning on Super Talk Mississippi. Covering Mississippi State sports like nobody else. Sports Talk Mississippi's Brian Haydad, along with Joel Coleman of Sports Illustrated's Cowbell Corner, give you an inside look at the Bulldogs on the field, the court, and the diamond. Now, get ready for thunder and lightning. This is Thunder and Lightning here on Super Talk Mississippi. Brian Haydad and Joel T. Coleman here with you on a Thursday morning. We are glad to be with you here at supertalk.fm or wherever it is you get podcasts from. We appreciate all of our great listeners, especially our servicemen and women out there taking care of us. We also want to thank our sponsors at Strange Brew Coffee House and Churn and Spoon Ice Cream. I guess Churn and Spoon is just going to have to be on the back burner for a little bit longer, unfortunately. Such is life, I guess. I but, guess, but you know. But that said, you know what to do with uh, our good friends at, at, at Strange Brew. Just you know, hit the uh, the drive through. Keep that social distance. Hit the walk up window over on University Drive, and you can still get all those great handcrafted drinks. Hot, cold, pep you up, make you mellow. I don't know what all they do. They have medicinal properties. I tell you. I tell you what, man, they can turn your day upside down. Like turn, hey, it, turn turn it around. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like nothing's bad, I'll tell you that much. So, head on over there today and get yourself taken care of at Strange Brew Coffee House. Our good friends over at College Corner, I mean, one day they're just going to call me and be like, we don't have any more. We, we don't have any more money. We just we gave it all away. And I'm like, oh, that was a good run. Either that or they're going to they're gonna build a financial empire on the back of this this incredible promotion. They, they've been running this since throughout this whole quarantine and social distance uh, thing. So they have been they have been helping you out. Hopefully you guys are helping them out as well. Again, all you got to do is go to collegecornerstore.com and buy a uh, gift card. Search for gift card in the in the in the bar there. Boom, 30% off. $100 worth of gift card is only a $70 purchase. These are great this is a great deal. Nobody can beat it. It's unbeatable. I tell you what. I tell you what. If you you find me a place that's doing 40% off a gift card purchase, then I'll I'll change my mind. <laughs> But I'm not too worried about that now, am I? I am not. So, collegecornerstore.com. And, of course, if you want to go check out their, their merchandise, you can go to either one of their two locations in the Jackson area. They're in Ridgeland over by Fleet Feet. They're in Flowood over by the Half Shell. And you can see their incredible selection, the biggest and best selection in central Mississippi of MSU merchandise. Go to collegecornerstore.com. The good folks over at Advantage Business Systems know that if you're looking to upgrade your business technology, you need to give them a call. You need to find out what 45 years of doing business in Mississippi can get you. And it can get you all the answers and everything you need to get your business moving in the right direction. Right now, they want to talk to you. They want to find out what you need to improve upon at your business. Do you need new hardware, software? Do you need to you know, get some new computers in there? Do you need to upgrade technology? Whatever it is, whatever your, your, your question is, the answer lies with Advantage Business Systems. So give them a call today at 844-833-6245 or visit them online at absms.com. Find out how Advantage Business Systems helps your business do business. All right. This is going to be one of those good shows, Joel, because most of it's as, already done. As, yeah, of course, they're all good, but yeah. these are the real good ones because we just basically show up and say a few words and then part ways. Yeah, so let's get let's get right into it. We've got a good show today. we got two interviews. Second half of the show, we'll talk about the Missouri Tigers and our week. This is our third opponent preview 
of the year as we work our way back from the Egg Bowl to uh, to New Mexico. The SEC's furthest west team, who are in the, the SEC East. East. Yeah, doesn't make any sense. Two-time SEC East champion. <laughs> I say, the, I say they're the furthest to the west. I don't, I don't know. Is College Station a little further to the west? That's a good know. question. I don't know. I don't know the uh, the answer to that. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't know. But I could pull up a map and look. We but could, but I'm, I'm I don't who cares? care. I don't care that much. Don't that much. But that's the second half of the show. We will start the show off with you know I, I you know I forgot to bring this up in the interview if if Dak had mentioned anything about winning the greatest bulldog bracket. <sighs> Surely it's been on the it's been the talk of the town. I mean, I'm sure that as as July 15th gets closer and his deadline with Jerry Jones and the the long-term extension that whole nine yards, I'm sure that his agent has put on the table, look, he won the Thunder and Lightning bulldog bracket. I mean, I'm sure that's been part of the process. How, how did I not bring that up? Oh well, we'll have to we'll have to say that for another day. But right now, let's talk to John Machota. He covers the Dallas Cowboys for The Athletic. Let's get the latest on Dak Prescott, his contract. What does Pat Mahomes' contract have to do with Dak? And a lot more. Let's get straight to that interview on the Welcome Home Beef Hotline. So let's go a little further down the uh, the pipeline here on Dak Prescott here and on the Welcome Home Beef Hotline. We'll welcome John Machota from The Athletic. Covers the Cowboys. has been covering them for a long, long time. We had you on this podcast. I went back and looked. It was a year ago in May, and you were – adamant in your your statement that Dak Prescott was the future of the Dallas Cowboys. He was the franchise quarterback. He would get a long-term deal. As we sit here, you know, some 14 months later, do you still believe that? I, I really do. I mean, the, the Cowboys have made him contract offers. They just haven't met what he's looking for. But they've reached a threshold that, I mean, heck, they wouldn't even have given him that exclusive rights franchise tag if it wasn't going to be a situation where they wanted him here long-term. They would just be like, well, let's just play this out with a franchise tag for another year and we'll see where we're at from there but no I, I don't get I don't get any impression that he's not still there in their plans as their quarterback not only for this season but well into the future just a matter of getting the deal done and it could get done as soon as next week right before that July 15th deadline uh, you know as I'm sure we'll talk about Patrick Mahomes deal I think helps that accelerate things a little bit not that I think his deal is going to come anywhere close to matching that but just the sense of if nothing more, just because of the crazy times we're in right now with the, with the coronavirus and the uncertainty for this upcoming season, I was kind of thinking that there just really wouldn't be any new business anytime soon uh, between clubs and players just because I felt like most teams would want to kind of sit back and see the way this upcoming season unfolds, whether it be fans in the stands, if they'd have a season, or if they'd have a full season, if they, you know, there's just so much uncertainty. And so to see the Chiefs come out there and Patrick Mahomes come out there and just, you know, knock this thing out of the park uh, on a 10-year deal that could be worth up to over $500 million. Uh, that surprised me. I did not I did not expect that right now. But, you know, the guy's coming up winning the Super Bowl. They obviously want him there. He, you know, he's as good as any player, if not the best player in the league right now. So it makes sense. But, you know, like a deal like that will have an impact on Dak's contract. But, no, I, I don't look at this as being anything that, even though he's still franchise tag technically right now, even if he has to play through the season as a franchise tag, I still think that they ultimately find a way to keep him because not only is he their best option, but I just I, they believe that his best ball is still ahead of him. So you sort of hit on it there. You know, July fifteenth is the deadline. If if Dak doesn't sign a long term deal by then, he'll play on this one year tender at thirty one million and some change. Do you believe? You said you think it, that the Mahomes deal might have accelerated that. Do you think this deal is going to get done in the next week, or we're we going to drag this out another year? <laughs> so I. I I wish I could hold up a graph of just the way I felt about this because uh, I would say two or three weeks ago, 
I was at, ah, maybe it's 50-50. But then as the last couple of weeks went by, I was like, I'm down to like maybe 15% chance to get it done. And now I'd say I'm back up to 20, 25% chance that I think that they can get it done, uh, you know, before this deadline on July 15th. Because the, I kind of, the way I look at it is, so, you, you know, the floor already is kind of what, right in that neighborhood of Carson Wentz, Jared Goff, what those deals were. Same draft class as Dak, obviously, but those guys did have fifth-year options to their first-round picks. Dak, being a fourth-rounder, didn't have that. So not completely apples to apples, but that's a good barometer for he's going to get more than those guys because their contracts were done last year. Like, this thing keeps going up. So you know what the floor is, and now we know what the ceiling is because he's not getting Patrick Mahomes' money. And... He's not going to get it. He's not going to sign a ten-year deal anyway. I mean, that one of the big hang-ups right now is that the Cowboys want five years. He wanted to only do four. I, if, if a deal gets done by July fifteenth, I still think it, it comes down to the Cowboys giving in a little bit and being fine with with only doing four years. But in terms of the average on the contract, I, I don't see why now it's not in that thirty-seven, thirty-eight million dollar per year range. I mean, even if they, you know, were to franchise tag him again next year because they couldn't sign him, I mean, you're already going to be in that that range anyway. So. Um, might as well get him locked up for the next four years and then also have some wiggle room because you'll have him under contract. You can move some of that money around and, and potentially be able to sign some other pieces and things like that. But, I mean, any way we look at it, I mean, he's not coming. He's not signing for a bargain. If he would have done, if he was going to do that, he would have done that already. So, you know, that's not happening. So I would say right now it looks like it's going to come in somewhere behind, you know, behind Mahomes but above where, you know, Wentz and Goff were. You kind of hit on this just a little bit there, John, but, you know, the – all the reporting has been that Dak wants the four-year deal. Cowboys want the five-year deal. I, I guess from the Cowboys side, why would they not just re- – because from an average per year or whatever, it kind of seems like whether it's four or five years, it's going to be about the same average per year anyway. Why would the Cowboys not just say, you know what, four years is fine? Like, Why, why, is it, why are the Cowboys kind of hung up on, on making this a five-year deal? I think it's because they want it. It's one of those deals where they, that's just what they've wanted to do. They want the extra year. That's what they did with Ezekiel Elliott. That's what they did with Amari Cooper. I mean, they want those longer deals because they want to control the player for longer. And the player wants to get out there, and they want to get back out to free agency. I mean, that's why you know the Chiefs are probably thrilled. Yeah, it's a lot of money, but they're thrilled that they have you know Patrick Mahomes for 10 more years. I mean, you know, the Cowboys would like to have, have Dak for a, a long time, but... I think that he wants to get back out to the market, you know, like, you know, get get whatever number he can get now. And, and as we see, you know, this year is going to be an outlier because, you know, because of COVID-19, we don't know how much money that these teams are going to be bringing in with revenue. I mean, a huge chunk of that for teams, specifically like the Cowboys, is their fans in the stadium. I mean, it's crazy how much money they make off of that. Um, and so if you don't have fans in the stands, that's going to take a hit and across the league. And so that'll hurt your salary cap for a year. But, after the, after, if they get back to normal, like it is projected to be next year at this time, and then years after that, the cap is going to continue to go up like it has been going up for over the last decade. And and the TV deal money that comes in there, it's going to keep going higher and higher. And so if you're Dak Prescott, you want to get a chance to get back out there and get another brand new piece of the pie that's even bigger than the one you had before, because you know Dak Prescott believes he's one of the best quarterbacks in the league. And so, and the other thing that helps him is that he believes that he's got the pieces around him. You know to continue to play on that level. I mean, he still has uh, several primetime offensive linemen. He has Ezekiel Elliott under contract. He has Amari Cooper under contract. And the team just drafted C.D. Lamb. So it's like he's in a great situation with offensive weapons. Like, you know, I can see why a guy like that would want to bet on himself. He's in a, he's in a great situation. So, um, 
that, I think that's the biggest reason is the Cowboys would prefer that they would have his control longer. Dak wants to get back out there and, and, and get that free agency money again four years from now. Yeah. What do you think Dak can command as a free agent on the open market? It's tough because you look at this offseason, this is this was a wild offseason for, for quarterbacks just because of the veterans, whether, you know, I mean, all the way up from Tom Brady down to, you know, Jameis Winston and Cam Newton. Like, there was some available guys there. Uh, another, I mean, hitting on that too real quick, that's another example of how the Cowboys didn't believe in Dak Prescott. Be like, hey, go test, go test the free agent waters. And if he signs somewhere else in this huge deal, then they go out and they sign Jameis Winston or, or Cam Newton or they make Andy Dalton their, their, their starter. And, and granted, you know, people wouldn't feel as confident, I guess, about that as they, they would about Dak. But if they were questioning if Dak was the guy or not, this was a great offseason to do that in. And so um, it's interesting. I, I think it all depends on, like, what openings are there, like what teams are looking for a quarterback at that time. And if it's a team that, let's say, you know, has all the other pieces in, in place, has a really good defense, you know, has, has, has a pretty good offensive line, some receiving options, they just think that all they need is that leader, that quarterback to take them over the top then, yeah, maybe he can get more money from another team. I will say this, though. I don't know that that other team he'll be able to make as much money off the field as he makes from the Cowboys. So there will be a little bit of a trade-off there, you know. Um, and then, you know, I don't know how the state income taxes are for those other, you know, states where he'd be playing in. So you got to factor that in, too, uh, with, with Texas not having that. So, um, yeah, I don't think any other team would have came. Let's say if he was a free agent right now. For this offseason, I don't think any team would have came in there and gave him $40 million a year. I don't think we would have made that. But I think he would have probably gotten maybe similar to what the Cowboys are going to have to pay him, you know, like I said, between, you know, $36, $38 million a year. In this state, you know, the perception of Dak Prescott is always going to be split because there are Ole Miss fans who it doesn't matter if Dak Prescott wins six Super Bowls. They just don't like the guy. I get that. But nationally, I mean, whenever there's Dak Prescott news on social media, you know, wherever you look, there's a lot of people who are just down on Dak Prescott for whatever reason. Why do you think the perception of Dak is is lower than what, when you look at his stats and when you look at his advanced stats especially, would, would lead you to believe? I think one of the big things is that they don't see the natural like arm talent that you see in some of these other, like the high round. Like the, I mean, that's why he falls to the fourth round. That's why he doesn't go in the first round like, uh, you know, like a Matthew Stafford or, you know, like even like Goff and Wentz and things like guys like that, you know, uh, uh, Patrick Mahomes, you know, guys with the big arms and things like that. Even though if you look at the stats, I mean, he's a pretty good deep ball thrower. But um, I think that that's part of it. And then the other thing is that he's the Cowboys quarterback, and a lot of people there's really no middle ground with the Cowboys. There's, I've never come across somebody that said eh, I kind of like the Cowboys. They're all right. It's either man, I love the Cowboys, or it's like man, I root against the Cowboys all the time. I can't stand them. And so that's a factor too. And those are the two biggest things with me because. The perception of him as a person, I don't understand how it, how it could be negative. I mean, I don't know how you could handle yourself much better than Dak Prescott handles himself. I mean, he always seems to say the right thing. Uh, I can tell you from a media standpoint, everybody enjoys him here. There's not one person that covers the team that does not like Dak Prescott, and I'm sure uh, it's the same way in Starkville. I guarantee you there's nobody there that was like, man, you know, he was kind of full of himself. I really didn't like talking to that guy. He just... <laughs> Super cool guy. And then the other thing is, is it's just like, and, and, and really, to be honest with you, people listen to this, who cares what the media thinks? But still, like, it's just a yeah. part of it because I get to see that on more of a day-to-day basis. But the most important thing is the teammates. And all of his teammates, like, love him. They all play for him. I mean, I mean, 
you could argue that that's his greatest trait is his leadership, and that's why I mentioned him as a guy that, like, I could really see if he went to, like, free agency and there was a team that, let's say, they had all the other pieces, and they were like, we just don't have, like, this face of the franchise type, like, leader type guy. Like, we need that guy, and, and, and you know, I don't think we're going to get that out of, out of this draft and how many free agents are, and then all of a sudden Dak becomes available and it just puts him over the top, you know. So um, that would be interesting, again, depending on what teams are available there. But I just – there just isn't a lot of negative things to say about the guy. So I when I when I hear that, and, and I know what you guys are talking about when people are critical of him, I, I just point to him being the quarterback of the Cowboys. And, and one of the big things that feeds into that is that even when there's no news with the Cowboys, there's news with the Cowboys. Just turn on any of your of your favorite cable sports stations, and the Cowboys are always being talked about, even when there's absolutely nothing going on. And so he's such a lightning rod. It, it's going to be fascinating if he signs his deal next week because it's not going to be for as much as Patrick Mahomes. And I'm going to tell you right now, the way it's going to be talked about and covered will be every bit Patrick Mahomes, if not more, just because everyone's going to have an opinion on it. Yeah, I definitely uh, agree with that. So. John Machado, man, great to catch up with you. Good talking to you. You can check his uh, coverage on The Athletic for the Cowboys. If you're not a subscriber to The Athletic, you darn well should be. Best sports writing you can get you get your hands on. Thanks a lot, man. Appreciate your time. Anytime, guys. I enjoyed it. All right, thanks to uh, John for that. And, you know, it's 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 his, his, his comments from this interview very similar to the last interview. Uh, Dak, you know, I think he probably does feel like he got stepped over in line a little bit. There was supposed to be that moment where Dak – MSU got screwed over. They were supposed to have that moment where the highest paid quarterback in the league was an MSU Bulldog. That's not going to happen now because, as John very aptly said, Dak's not getting $51 million a year. But Dak is on the precipice of being a 37 to $38 million quarterback. I do agree. Mahomes got him an extra 2 to $3 million a year. Yeah, and, and I, I like what John said, too, in that, look, if Dak plays, the, if, if he doesn't come to an agreement by July 15th and – he plays this year on the franchise tag. And then next year they want to franchise him again. It's going to be $36, $37, 38000000 million yeah. anyway. So why don't you just go ahead and sign the guy? Like, yeah, at that point. So that, that's why I think this thing gets done. Because as John feels, and as I think you and I feel, he's going to be in Dallas. I, right. I, just, I cannot see him not in that's Dallas. That's what makes it so odd for me that he won't just go ahead. I understand why you don't want to commit to the from a financial perspective. Right, they're redoing the TV deals. The salary cap is likely to go up. You got a chance to make that second contract even more lucrative. Why you want to get to it as fast as you can? I get all that, but you and I both know that that man is living the dream right now. Dak Prescott wants to be the quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys. Yeah, and I think the Cowboys know that to an extent too. And I'm sure that there's a a length they could push him to that he would say, "Okay, no more. Yeah, I'm gonna be a free agent." But he, they're nowhere near that. I don't know. You know, maybe, and I'm not a Cowboys fan. I'm certainly not. You know, he was funny when he was talking about like everybody's either there's no middle ground. There's some middle ground here in Starkville. Yeah, there are a lot of Mississippi State fans like myself. I am not a Cowboys fan by any, but I like to see Dak succeed. But you root for Dak exactly when he's not playing the Saints. The Saints, exactly. (laughs) You know, any other opponent. But it it if it does feel like that for Dak, it's just odd that he's not willing to make that compromise. I get why he's not. He, I mean, he might end up costing himself, you know, eight nine million dollars in the long run doing that. And I mean, and that's real money. That's you know, that's big money. But at the same time, it, it just feels like I feel if you said who's going to cave, I feel like Dak is the guy who will cave before the Cowboys will. Six days. Yeah, as I we mean, it, it, six days. <sighs> I don't know why. I just feel like it's going to happen. I. I, I 
I think I'm like you. I think he wants to be in Dallas. I think Dallas wants him in Dallas. I think Jerry Jones wants him in Dallas. And so I, I don't really... But then again, I guess that's an argument for why maybe it doesn't get done. Because even if he plays the one year on the franchise tag, maybe they're like, well, we can just re- revisit this next year because we all want you to be here and you want to be here and we want you here and so we can just redo, you know, do this down the road. So I guess I see that point of it too. Uh, bottom line is, though, Dak's going to get paid. And if for some reason it's not in Dallas, as we asked him, what would he get on the free agent uh, market? He's either going to get an, an offer even better than what Dallas has, or he's going to get something around what he's asking for from Dallas. So he's going to get paid somewhere in the next probably, you know, 12 to 24 months or so, maybe in the next week. We'll see. But I, I cannot see Dak Prescott wearing another uniform, at least at this point in his career. You know, maybe, maybe later on it's a deal where, you know, Peyton Manning, for God's sake, played for the Broncos. You know, Tom Brady is now a Buccaneer. Maybe later on in his career, He's with somebody else, but right now, I, I, he's not going anywhere else, I don't think. I, I, I think this gets done, and even if it doesn't get done, I think it gets done after this season. Yeah, I agree with you. It will get done. Dak, Dak will be the quarterback in Dallas uh, for a long, long time. I don't think there's any que- There's really no question about that for me. It, it's, it's, it's odd the way it's played out, but I think it will all play out the correct way for the Cowboys and for Dak in the end. Feels safe. Before we get over to that interview, a little bit of breaking news here on the show. Do I need to play the? Do I need to play like a sad version of the Cruton song? There's been a decommitment from Mississippi State. Uh, MSU's uh, commitment, Kadarius Callaway, from Philadelphia, Mississippi, has flipped to Alabama. Wow! So funny, funny stuff here. Earlier today, <laughs> earlier today, twenty four seven Sports writes an article: commitment Darius Kadarius Callaway still solid with Bulldog decision. That was nine hours ago. That was written, and. Here we are. He has flipped to Alabama, which I would imagine you could probably just go ahead and write him off uh, at this point uh, for Mississippi State. Seems unlikely that he, he would get back in the boat. Yeah. I mean, I could, could be wrong, but just seems unlikely. Have they already pulled him off? Yeah, they have. So let me see if I can find. While you do that, uh, if you'd want some more recruiting news, you can go to cowbellcorner.com. Yeah. Dot com. Dot com. As I talked to Nick Demetrius, and he said that he has not revealed his top three yet, but mm-hmm. when he does, Mississippi State will be in it. So with so. Callaway flipping... To Alabama, of the top six in Mississippi, you've got four that are headed out of state. Antonio Harmon is 100% to Auburn. I'm sorry, that's Ole Miss. Yeah. Ty Keyes, I, I still have trouble. Unless he's going to USM, I don't think he's going to stay in state. So more or less, it looks like five of the top six players in this state are headed elsewhere, headed outside the state borders. That's, that is a – I mean, I get some of it. Because you had so much, you had coaching transition, coaching but at the same time, you got young, not young, but you got exciting coaches in, in the state. It's, it's surprising to see uh, the way this is playing yeah. out. You didn't get a couple of ham and eggers in here, did you? Right, right. I mean, yeah. You know, I, it, it's just, it's surprising to see that, especially, you know, Phil, Philadelphia has been rough for Mississippi State, you know, for the payments. I, I can't ever think about Philadelphia High School, nothing about CJ Johnson, but the tornadoes. The tornadoes, yeah. But used to be a division rival of the Ackerman Indians, but well, there you go. Such is life. So state uh, down to ten commitments now. Uh, gosh, it's really it's this, this recruiting class is so weird to look at when you just there's so many out of state guys. It's just it looks different than in most Mississippi classes, Mississippi State classes. But uh, Kadarius Galloway, like we said, now headed uh, off to Alabama. So 
Let's move on out of that, though, and get into uh, our opponent preview. I'm sorry, yeah, opponent preview for this week. Before you before you get into the move, just so you know, two schools are further west. Oh, you than, looked it than, up? Than Missouri. Yeah, I just looked at my map. You should be able to get them. Can you get them? Two schools in the SEC further west than Missouri? Yeah. Fayetteville, Arkansas, and, and Texas A&M. Yes, I figured you knew your geography, but I just wanted to make sure. Yeah, correct. I would have been surprised if it had been Baton Rouge, but <laughs> in LSU. But. I, I did look. Baton Rouge is further further to the east. Yes, so. I figured as yes. much. So let's move on into let's move out of geography <laughs> and onto our opponent preview. Brought to you by our good friends over at Welcome Home Beef. Who want to remind you that you know when you got free weekends, you might as well be cooking. So why not cook the best? Cook some locally sourced grain fed beef. Cooked from processed at Mississippi State University. It's local from the, the day the cow's born to the day he ends up on your plate. It's state in state, unless you live out of state, in which case they shipped it to you. But regardless of that, this is a bulldog run business that's providing a great service to the city of Starkville. I cannot give you my a higher recommendation for welcome. Speaking of welcome home beef, did you ever cook those steaks? Yes, yes, I did. I did not take pictures of them because I don't feel like I, that my food looks as good. Uh huh. But, but it just tasted good. All right. I, I really feel like you could have done it better. Well, I, I will be. I, I will I, be one hundred percent honest with you. I don't think I did a great job, but it was still good. So if I can do it and it still, yeah, halfway tastes. You it's know, Joel proof. It just tastes good, even if Joel cooks it. You've been Joel proof. <laughs> so. Yeah, I, I'm always like hesitant to send a picture out or, or whatever. Well, of that's it. the thing. Like if you screw because, that up, like, I don't want bad, it to look bad or whatever. If, you, if it's bad, you'll you'll get a uh, yeah. get you'll get you'll get hit pretty hard on yeah. that. But so. if, especially a steak, if you overcook that thing, yeah. you're gonna hear about that. Yeah. So was it overcooked in your opinion? I, no, it wasn't overcooked. Okay, well that's good. That's a good start. So yeah. I just right. don't know that it was as beautiful or, or picturesque as something you you would have done. But. Well, there you go. Well, there you have it. I mean, I can't give you a better testimonial than Joel, who cannot cook, made some good steaks because Welcome Home Beast products lifted him up. Next, uh, uh, they were the here's Jordan. What, here's to what your I Pippen. want, though. Here's yeah. what I want. Next year for my birthday. Mm-hmm. The heck with that. Hopefully, all this coronavirus madness is soon to be be over. At the Haydad Christmas shebang. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to pay you, and you, you get some more of those bacon burn-ins, and I want you to make the some. pork belly burn-ins? Yes, just for me. So here's, I, I, I want to tell a funny story. I, I, I told my wife, I was like, I should do that for the, the Christmas party. And she told me no, because they're so good, it would take away from the food she makes. So I was told I can't do them. How about I just pay you the money? I'll just make them for you for and Christmas. you just make them for me whenever you feel like it. All right. Well, I got. I still have another half pork belly in the fridge. <laughs> So I mean, it's in the freezer. I mean, all I gotta do is thaw it out. We can have that anytime you want. You know, well, I'll call you and you come on over. So, all right. Well, you need to come on over to Welcome Home Beef. Give them a call today: six six two four one eight twenty twenty one, or visit them online at facebookcom Beef. Steaks, burgers, brisket, ribs, chops, whatever it is you're looking for. I promise you one thing: when you go with Welcome Home Beef, it just tastes good. Let's go to our interview now with Missouri beat writer Peter Ball from the Athletic. Week three of our opponent preview series as we work back to front to uh, the start of the season. We're talking about the Missouri Tigers making their first ever trip to Starkville since the uh, they joined the conference. And here on the Welcome Home Beef Hotline, we've got Peter Ball. He covers the uh, Tigers for the Athletic. And, Peter, I won't, I won't beat around the bush. I'll just tell you. Missouri is the team in the SEC I know the least about. Now, obviously, you know, it's, it's probably because State hasn't played them since 2015. They've only played them one time. So they just don't come up on my uh, my radar that that often. In in 
I don't know, 100 words or less. Sum up this Missouri team in 2020 for me. Oof, okay, yeah. Well, it makes sense that you, you might not know as much about them as other teams with them being in the East and all. Um, I would say this is a team that has a new coach and a new, I guess, they're trying to instill a new outlook on things um, with an inexperienced offense and a defense with a lot of potential led by uh, one of the best linebackers in the country, Nick Fulton, is, I guess, the 100 words or fewer version of, of the Missouri Tigers. All right. Let's look all about quarterback because, obviously, you know, Last year, Kelly Bryant came in. Looks like, from what I can tell, you know, checking your article that you wrote, you know, back in the spring, back when everything was still sort of normal, that it looked like Sean Robinson was might, might have an op, an opportunity, you know, another transfer there to, to be the number one guy this year. Is that who you expect to be the starting quarterback from Missouri this season? That's who I would expect, but I think there's also a lot of room for change just because we um, – the coaches haven't really seen these guys play much. I mean, because this is a new, a completely new offensive staff and a new head coach in Elijah Drinkwitz, who's off, who's also working as offensive coordinator. And Sean Robinson is a guy that I think has a lot of potential in that the physical tools have always been there. I mean, he was a very highly recruited kid out of high school, and he showed flashes at TCU of being a really good quarterback uh, his sophomore year uh, when he started the first seven games of the season. The the tough thing for him was just injuries and staying healthy, and I think he got he got kind of beaten down. He had a shoulder injury that was really bothering him his sophomore year, and the um, the coaching staff, Gary Patterson, the TCU coach, said that he thinks his confidence might have been shaken because of that, and so he kind of had this whole past season to, I guess, recharge mentally, um, and now it's kind of a, a mystery of how he's going to be. I mean, there's potential he could be really good. There's potentially could be average like he was at TCU. It's, it's just really it's really hard to say. I think if Missouri can get a similar level of production to what Kelly Bryant did the first half of last year before he started to deal with his injuries, I think Missouri would take that. Um, at least for his first year as the starting quarterback. The other name to watch I think is Connor Bazelak, who was a true freshman who, or he was a true freshman last year and played in three games including starting the, the season finale against Arkansas when Kelly Bryant was hurt. Um, and he's a guy that has a lot of potential. He, he showed a lot of poise in the pocket in the games he was in, but he tore his ACL in that Arkansas game. So he should be cleared now, and he's kind of one of those guys that is another wild card. So it's, I, my guess would be it would be one of those two, which with if you made me guess today which one I'd say Sean Robinson. Now, one name I do know from Missouri is the running back Larry Roundtree III, one of the better running backs in the SEC uh, two seasons ago, almost uh, 1, just over 1,200 yards. Last year, 800 yards rushing, nine touchdowns. Really, really solid player. And in a conference full of good running backs, he definitely stands out. Who does Missouri have besides him at the skill positions that you need to watch out for this year? Yeah, so Larry, Larry's a really important player on this team. Um, but the big thing is the offensive line in front of them, which I know isn't skill positions, but that was a big struggle last year. Those the offensive line just really couldn't protect for the running back, uh, which would led to Roundtree's numbers dropping off significantly. And he didn't play as well as he wanted. Um, at running back, I think you're going to see there's a, a junior named Tyler Beatty who I think will pretty much split time with Larry, and he's going to be kind of a, a shiftier, speedier back that is more – able to, to like operate in the pass game. He's a really effective player 
um, who had a really nice season last year despite the team not not having a ton of success. So I think he'll be he'll be in there a lot both to run and also because he's effective as a receiver. Um, I think you also might want to look out for Damon Hazleton Jr., who's a wide receiver graduate transfer from Virginia Tech. He was an all-ACC player the past two seasons um, before deciding to transfer. He's dealt with some lingering injuries, or last year he did, um, but he's someone that Missouri desperately needs because last year they really, you could tell how much they needed a number one level receiver and they just didn't have it and the offense suffered because of it. So I think Hazleton is someone that, in an ideal world for Missouri, could fit in, be that top guy, kind of carry the load, and then maybe um, open up, draw some coverage away from some of those secondary receivers like Jalen Knox, who had a good freshman year but regressed last year as a sophomore. Um, so I, Hazleton is, is a guy to watch. Um, he needs to evolve, like not dropping the ball is a big thing. He had a, a not great drop rate last year. So ideally for him, he would, he would have sorted that out, and then Missouri can have a good number one receiver. And so I, I'd say those are kind of – I'd give you Beatty and Hazleton as skill position guys to look out aside from, from Roundtree. Kind of a big picture question for you. It wasn't all that long ago Missouri was playing in SEC title games. Um, of course, now with Eli Drinkwitz in, when if if things go as well as Missouri hopes with Eli Drinkwitz, like here here at Mississippi State, you know I, I think most people around Starkville would say the ceiling of this program is probably somewhere you know eight wins every year. Maybe you get a ten win season if everything just falls just right. That's kind of the what people would expect, uh, and then every now and then you drop down to six wins. But somewhere in that six to six to eight win range is probably a normal year in Starkville. I guess I guess the big picture question I'm asking is for Missouri fans: What do they see as the ceiling of Missouri football? Obviously, not this year and year one under Eli Drinkwitz, but once he kind of gets his guys in and gets this thing up and rolling, what do you think the overall expectation of the program is? I think it's actually similar to Mississippi State in a lot of ways in that. You want to you want to be in that six to eight win range every single year, and then when things fall into place, you can go and maybe win ten or more games. And I think Missouri has an inherent advantage over Mississippi State just playing in the SEC East instead of the SEC West. Um, so Missouri really, if Missouri is for Missouri to be a contender in the SEC East and win the SEC East division like they did in 2013 and 2014, a few things need to happen. You need to recruit well. Um, and you need to hit on kind of some of these overlooked guys that maybe you're bringing in that are three-star, even two-star guys who maybe have potential that other schools didn't pick up on. Then you've got to win the close games, which Missouri really struggled to do under Barry Odom, and that's the reason why he, he lost his job. And then you also have to have a little bit of luck with that. In those two years that Missouri won the East, um, Georgia was not a powerhouse and Florida was not a powerhouse. And so now it's a little tougher because Florida and Georgia both seem to have coaches that are going to be there a long time and that are really good coaches who seem to be bringing in top-level recruits every year, especially Kirby Smart at Georgia. Now, I think Missouri can, if things fall into place, have those 10-win seasons and then maybe you sneak into the SEC title game and then who knows what happens. I think that the key is to try and get to around eight wins every year, which is a tall ask, but if you can get into that range, then you're going to have seasons where maybe you steal a game against Florida, maybe steal a game against Georgia, and maybe things fall into place, and you have a season where you win that season. 
Ryan Walters is a name that popped up on MSU's radar when, when State was looking for a defensive coordinator back in, in January. Obviously, he stayed at Missouri, you know, working under Barry Odom, who's a defensive coach as well. What kind of defense is Missouri going to have this year? Just looking at, at this pro, way preliminary depth chart, it looks like they've got some experience coming back, but they don't have a, a whole lot of, of superstar names on this defense. Who, who are some guys to watch? Yeah, so Nick Bolton was an all-SEC linebacker last year and led the SEC in regular season tackles. Um, a guy from LSU passed him in the championship game, but LSU played, I think, three more games than Missouri did. So he's a legit player, and he he could potentially – he'll be a junior. I wouldn't be shocked if he's, if he's drafted after next year uh, if he doesn't come back to school uh, for his senior year. And he's, he, he has a knack for being in the right spot. He had a few interceptions last year. Um, was along with over 100 tackles. So he's kind of the anchor of the defense. Um, you've got a really good safety duo with Joshua Bledsoe and Tyree Gillespie, who are the deep safeties. And they are, uh, Barry Odom last year before the season said they have a chance to be two of the best safeties Mizzou's ever had. And I, I don't think he was wrong. I mean, I, Missouri doesn't have like some crazy history of strong safety, or strong players who are safeties, but he. But those two are really good and could, could potentially have pro careers after, after this season. Um, the big question mark for me, well, I guess there's two, is one, the, the defensive backs, the cornerbacks, lose a lot of depth. They lose DeMarcus Acey, who signed with the, the 49ers as a priority free agent, and they lose Christian Holmes, who's graduate, who graduate transferred to Oklahoma State. So now you're looking at kind of a lot of, of limited depth, which if you're going up against a team like Mississippi State that's going to air the ball out with Mike Leach and KJ Casella, who knows if those guys are going to be able to stop them because they don't have experience. So they might surprise us. They have a good freshman recruit coming in who could get thrust into action pretty early, and they have a returning starter in Jarvis Ware. But those are that's kind of the area that Missouri's defense might struggle with because it's hard to map when you don't have good cornerbacks. Like, teams can pick on you. Um, and then I would also say the defensive line. Missouri hasn't had a standout edge rusher um, in quite a few years. They, they really have needed the, that pressure from the, from the outside. And they have a good um, defensive tackle in Kobe Whiteside, who had six sacks last year, but he was also playing alongside an NFL defensive tackle in Jordan Elliott, who's now in the Cleveland Browns. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if maybe defenses can – can plan for Kobe a little more, and if he's able to have the same success as he did last year, now that maybe defenses are zoning in on him a little bit more. So I'd say those are it's a it's a defense that has a chance to be really solid, um, and the defense was not the problem last year. And Missouri has a lot of starters returning from it, so it should be interesting. And I think I think they should be decent on the defensive side of the ball. So when we look at this matchup, you just sort of hit on something there, you know, with Mississippi State switching to this air raid offense, looking to throw the ball 40, 50 times a game. As we sit here, you know, obviously months away from kickoff, do you, you see that as a problem for Missouri, that, that this kind of offense could be a, an issue for them? If you had to make a prediction right now, how, how do you, maybe not a score or anything like that, but how, how do you see this game sort of playing out? Yeah, that's tricky because it's just, it's honestly, I don't know if it's a problem. I would say it's a question just because Jarvis Ware, the returning cornerback, was solid as a sophomore last year. He wasn't perfect. He had some rough games. But is he ready to be the number one cornerback on an SEC team going up against SEC-level receivers, top receivers on opposing teams? And we don't know what they have in this freshman named 
and it's Rake Straw. We don't know who they have, what they have in some of these returners. So I would say that definitely could be an issue. Um, but I, I think it's a little hard to project right now just because yeah. we don't know what. I mean, Mississippi State and Missouri are in the same boat offensively in that they, they both are installing new systems with limited spring practices. And that's really difficult. So we'll, we'll I, I would imagine Mississippi State will have it sorted out enough by the time they play Missouri. Um, but I, I think it, it's definitely a matchup to watch, especially on the, um, I guess, the passing game for Mississippi State, how they would be able to, how, if Mike Leach is able to like bring in a system that can automatically just pick on the weakest parts of Missouri's defense, or if Missouri's cornerbacks, the young cornerbacks on the roster, step up and are ready to, ready to go. Really feels like the winner of this game will have an inside track to a pretty decent bowl, and the, and the loser of this game is going to be really pushing to try to make six wins. So, it'll be a very important game in November when the uh, Tigers come to Starkville uh, for the first time ever uh, since uh, I believe it's the first time ever, and it's definitely the first time since the uh, the conference uh, welcomed Missouri to it. Peter Ball, thanks so much for joining us. You can catch his uh, work on the Athletic again if you're not a subscriber to the Athletic. It's Athletic Day here on, on Thunder and Lightning for some odd reason. We've had. You and, and John Machota from The Athletic on today. So thanks for joining us. We appreciate your time, man. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. All right, thanks to Peter for his time. We certainly appreciate him uh, jumping on with us. Interesting stuff to hear about a team that might have some issues in the secondary. Not what you want to be on the, on the depth chart when you're, when you're facing Mississippi State, at least we think. And, of course, by this point in the season, assuming, you know, well, it doesn't really matter when the game is played because they're not moving it up any. So – that leads you to believe that you know, State should have figured out enough offensively that if Missouri hasn't figured out what they're doing defensively, it could be a big day for the Bulldogs here in Starkville when they, when they take on Missouri. Yeah. It's kind of a game that, in, in my mind, I kind of thought State had a good shot at anyway. But, yeah, you laying it out like that, it really feels like, as we sit here today in early July, State's got a real good shot to win that game. Um a Mike Leach offense against a defense trying to figure anything out, that's a pretty darn good recipe, I, I would guess. I, I, by then, though, you know, we'll have a better idea how well things are clicking. You know, is Osiris Mitchell and Malik Heath and some of these youngsters, are they producing? Are they not? It'll be interesting to see what we feel about MSU's offense by then. Because right now, I think, despite all the, the hitches in the giddy-up of the Mississippi State offense, you know, as far as receivers and stuff, I think you and I still are, are pretty optimistic that offense is going to put up yardage yeah, points. Yeah, I agree. And you, so by then, we're going to know if they can. And if they can, and Missouri, like you said, is kind of figuring things out defensively in any way, uh, good night, Missouri. Do you agree with what I, I said there at the end, that the winner of this game is probably pushing towards a pretty decent bowl, whereas the loser feels like they would probably struggle to be, to be getting to a bowl? Yeah, because, I mean, in Mississippi State, if Mississippi State, if you tell me today they're winning against Missouri – then I'm going to assume they probably won their four non-conference games, beat Arkansas. I'm going to feel pretty good that they can beat Ole Miss. They beat Missouri. That's seven wins right there. Yeah. Um, that's not to even say, can, did they maybe beat Kentucky or A&M or sneak up and beat an Auburn or something. Right. If you're doing that, then it's a great season. But, yeah, I think whichever team wins this Missouri game, Missouri-MSU, that team is well on its way to, to go into a you know decent bowl game, having, having a really good year. Right, and then we have Missouri, obviously, you know, sort of the same thing. They've got Georgia and Florida, who they're not likely to beat. They have Tennessee. That's going to be a tough game. Yeah. Um, Kentucky is going to be a tough game. Who's for a them. crossover? 
Well, uh, State is, but State, State and then obviously Arkansas. Arkansas. They, they do yeah. get, you know, they start the same thing though. They, they both teams get to play Arkansas uh, in the non-conference. I mean, they they have BYU, who I mean, that could be a problem for them. They also play Louisiana Lafayette, who could be a problem. You know, Napier should have a pretty good team down there. We might know a little bit about him. Uh, so I mean, they have some potential trip ups in the non-conference. They need to come to Starkville and find yeah. a, uh, find a win. I, we'll see if they can do that. I'm going to get us off the beaten track here for just a second. But okay. I wonder if Napier's having second thoughts about not taking a job now that this pandemic. Because who's going to be able to fire a coach and hire a coach? That's a good question. Like, like I think that if you go back to January. He felt pretty good that that Muschamp was going to get pushed out at South Carolina at the end of the season, and now I don't know that that's going to happen. Yeah, because who's going to be able to? So now you've got another year. You got another. Sometimes you know what is it? Two in two in the a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. Yeah. So yeah, something to to think about. All right, guys. uh, Tomorrow's show. I don't really know yet. I haven't set up a deep dive, so we may just have to do a regular show. Uh, We'll figure all that out uh, as we go tomorrow, but we'll have a show for you. Then, guys, have a great Thursday. Back with you on Friday for Joel T. Coleman. I'm Brian Haydad. Thanks for listening to Thunder and Lightning on Super Talk Mississippi. Talk Mississippi Media Production.